welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Welcome into Soccer Morning. Hope your morning is as fine as mine. Happens to be the last day of the school year in my particular area. So that's a thing that's happening. And I'm sure a lot of you have kids who are either out of school already or are like mine, just finishing up. You probably have plans. There's like camps and stuff. I don't know. What do you do with your kids during the summer? I only have one. I can't imagine having like four. There are people in this world who have four children, Trevor. I don't understand how that works. There are people in this world who have 19 children. Well, that's a different story for a different day. Big show for you here on a Tuesday. Lots to talk about. John Arnold from Goal.com will join us. He is covering a certain South America soccer, soccer South American soccer tournament down in Chile. So he'll join us in, a, in just a couple of minutes. Get his, uh, his perspective on how that tournament's going so far. Last night, threw up a thriller. 3-3, Mexico and Argentina. I'm sorry, Mexico and Chile, the hosts. Let's get my head on straight here. Last day of school is messing with me. I feel like I've got summer fever. We do have a lot of news to get uh, out of the way, so let's do that here off the top. A federal judge has unsealed the agreement between the FBI and Chuck Blazer that outlines his participation in the undercover operation that helped uh, bring down those FIFA officials we saw arrested two weeks ago. Chuck Blazer pled guilty to 10 counts, uh, including... As I just pull up my uh, information here, apologies for that. Uh, he, he pled guilty to 10 counts, including racketeering, wire fraud, money laundering, willful, willful fla- failure to file a report of foreign bank and financial accounts, and six counts of tax evasion. Charges involved facilitation of bribes in connection with the selection of the 1998 and 2010 World Cup hosts, France, South Africa, and bribes and kickbacks in conjunction with the sale of broadcast and other rights to the CONCACAF Gold Cup from 1996 to 2003. The agreement says that Blazer agreed to participate in undercover activities pursuant to the specific instruction of law enforcement agents or this office and not to reveal his cooperation or any information derived therefrom to any third party without prior consent. He also agreed not to contest any ban imposed on him by FIFA or any other soccer governing Body. This is a 19-page cooperation agreement that was just unsealed, uh, despite um, despite uh, the federal uh, the federal investigators preferring it not be disclosed. The judge dis- the judge found there was no reason to keep it uh, sealed. Now Chuck Blazer did this so he could avoid the uh, the long prison sentence that comes with pleading guilty to all of these charges. Ultimately, he'll probably I don't know, spend a couple of years in jail at the most. Uh, the maximum sentencing for all 10 of those charges could be up to 100 years total, and he's not going to serve that, certainly. Uh, I don't think he'll be in jail for um, for more than a couple of years. News out of Minnesota. This is a little troubling if you're a Minnesota United FC fan, if you're a soccer fan in the Midwest. MLS has decided to stand firm on their July 1st deadline for a, stock, a stadium approval to come through in Minnesota. Major League Soccer left the future of a Minnesota franchise in doubt on Monday, saying it is sticking to a July 1st deadline for a local group to finalize its plan for a soccer-only stadium in Minneapolis. 
The uh, comments come two days after the legislature adjourned for the year without considering a public subsidy package proposed by Dr. Bill McGuire. McGuire had pledged to privately build a stadium but sought a series of property tax breaks and other tax reductions, which, again, pretty par for the course, whether you agree with the government handing out tax breaks and reductions tax credits for stadiums this is uh this is how these things go in the united states certainly even when the the uh funding itself comes from pri- uh, private sources this is uh from mark abbott of mls one of the primary reasons we selected minnesota and its ownership group was this plan to build a soccer only stadium the plan he said needs to be something that's final enough so that we understand and know that it will ultimately be built July 1st is the deadline we put out there in March, and it remains the deadline. We're going to decide what happened next, what happens next on July 1st or closer to July 1st. It would not look good for MLS to have a proposed expansion team fall by the wayside because of a stadium deal, and yet you understand where they're coming from. They need to have these things done, taken care of. Interesting news in the MLS rumor mill, Soccer by Ivis reporting, that Hercules Gomez could may be making a return to the United States either to MLS or potentially the New York Cosmos. If you listen to Soccer Morning on Sirius XM, especially that uh, when we had our first week of shows, we had Hercules Gomez on this program or on that program, and he indicated he had been talking to the he had talked to the Cosmos. That was the first that I'd heard of it. Now apparently those were not dead discussions, and he still may consider a move to play in NASL for the New York team. Got a couple. Of, I mentioned the Copa America scores: three-three Chile and Mexico. The other game, Bolivia three-two over Ecuador. Women's World Cup: the United States playing tonight against Nigeria with a chance to win Group D. They need to do that. They definitely want that path. Eight o'clock p.m. Fox and NBC Universal for that game. Scores from yesterday: Norway beat the Ivory Coast three-one. Germany beat Thailand four-nothing. China beat New Zealand. Or sorry, Charlie. China drew with New Zealand two-two. In Group A, Canada and the Netherlands drew 1-1 in Group A. Canada and China are going through. Germany and Norway are going through. And the Netherlands as a third-place qualifier likely to go through, but we'll see. And how about this one? Didier Didier Drogba at a comedy festival in Marrakesh, which just seems like the strangest setting for this, told media when asked about moving to play for the New York Red Bulls, Okay, just call the owners, and then I'm there. Is that a joke? He's at a comedy festival. How am I supposed to take this seriously? Anybody? Bueller? No? Let's take a break. When we come back, John Arnold, Goal.com. We'll talk some Copa America. Don't go anywhere. Soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. The best way to watch Copa America and the greatest players in the world, including Leo Messi, Neymar, James Rodriguez, and Alexi Sanchez, is on Sling International's exclusive broadcast of Copa America on BN Sport. Sling TV is the number one live international TV service in the United States. It's a safe and legal streaming service that delivers your favorite sports and more to your TV, tablet, phone, and computer. For just $10 a month, you can watch every single Copa America game live or on demand featuring Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, Chile, Uruguay, and more. 
Plus, Sling International gives you access to Barca TV, Real Madrid TV, the New York Cosmos, Serie A, and more top networks offered by Sling TV. There's no commitment, no annual contract, and no satellite dish needed. Don't miss the best leagues in the world on Sling International. Sign up today at www.sling.com slash soccer. Again, that's sling.com slash soccer. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back and we are talking Copa America with good friend John Arnold. He is Arnold, John on Twitter. He is an excellent writer. He works for Goal and uh, he's on the air. Hi, John. Hey, Jason. How's it going? It's going well. This is a very, this is a very robust Skype connection. I, I guess the internet and down in Chile is not too bad. Uh. I guess not, man. It's it's uh, uh, it's 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 been. I don't want to say a struggle in some of the stadiums because there is internet, but it's it's one of those things where I feel like maybe there's only like, I, I look. I used to work in IT, and I still don't quite understand how it all works. But like, I feel like maybe there's like 50 spots allocated, and there's like 60 journalists trying to get on. So like, we're all bumping each other off, like in some sort of cruel like you know filing war i don't know but yeah it's been all right you know i I, i'm certainly i'm certainly um risking the wrath of the skype gods by bringing this up but i i just thought it sounded pretty good now you're skipping on me a little bit but it's okay let's get into the into copa america before we (laughs) before they strike us down uh last night um you know we'll get to the to the overall tournament to this point some of the other big storylines but last night has to be match of the tournament so far uh mexico three chile three the hosts um, defensive woes, certainly, and we saw Galazzo's off the head in that match. It was great. Yeah, I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to to be in the stadium for that one. It was a great atmosphere. You know, the first match, the the opening game, um, some players mentioned that they were hoping for a better atmosphere. There were fan groups. You know, I guess the Chilean American outlaws um, were you know disappointed with their own performance. Were asking for the other fans to kind of support. It seems like, I, I don't know if it was a situation where, you know, in the Super Bowl, there's not a good atmosphere because everyone's, you know, just kind of some corporate sponsor or some contest winner. I don't know if maybe that was the case. Everyone wanted to be at the first match, and then you had the true fans there last night. But it was a great atmosphere. It was an amazing game. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of goals from headers. You saw Raul Jimenez hit one from Mexico. You saw a bowl from Arturo Vidal, which was incredible. Eduardo Vargas was on the score sheet. Uh, the teams went back and forth, as you mentioned. You know, not great nights for either defense, but it was a really good game, and I think a really good result for Mexico because they looked really poor in that first match against Bolivia. They didn't look, look like they were going to be able to score. They didn't look like they were ever going to be able to hold a team like Chile. Um, but they get the result, and now uh, they basically set up a game against Ecuador, which probably, if they win, they can go into the quarterfinals. So uh, a really good result for Real 3 and uh, a really fantastic match. I think, yeah, the best of the tournament so far, I'd say. Let's uh, let's focus on Mexico before we get to the hosts and before we get to some other uh, teams in the tournament. Uh, this is obviously not Mexico's top side. That side is going to go into the Gold Cup and attempt to uh, book a place in a playoff for the Confederations Cup. So Herrera's down there with uh, sort of this ragtag group, some younger players, certainly a lot of talent. You mentioned Raul Jimenez. Um, the this the expectations couldn't have been overly high, and yet you did feel that if they hadn't gotten something out of that game with Chile, they'd be very disappointed right now. 
Well, right, because Miguel Herrera is a manager who has yet to face any pressure. He's yet to have any real difficulties. You know, he came in when Mexico was in a very bad time. Um, we all remember the the hex. They had to go to the playoff. Miguel Herrera took them to the playoff. He helped them beat New Zealand. He took them to the World Cup. He helped them have a pretty good World Cup. And really, since then, I mean, he's just kind of been hanging out, just being a jovial dude who doesn't really get questioned because he's he's friendly with the media, and he's had success. I think that would have ended um, if he had a poor Copa America and the pressure would have really been on in the Gold Cup. Not that it won't be already, but, you know, if you have a bad Copa America and then follow that up with not winning the Gold Cup and not making that playoff that you mentioned, Jason, I think the pressure's on for Miguel Herrera. He has a team that it is talented, um, but there are some holes, and I think those are starting to maybe be exposed with, with some injuries. There's not a lot of depth in this team, which is understandable because, you know, he's not just putting up a 23-man roster together. He essentially is putting together a 46-man, you know, national team with both of these squads. So uh, you've got Rafa Marquez out injured already uh, with a leg, a muscle muscle injury. Adrian Aldrete had to leave early last night. He plays the left wing back role. I think that's a huge blow. I think they were missing Marquez last night a little bit. Um, but I think they'll miss him a ton if he's not able to go. And, and, you know, I don't have any reports yet, but it didn't look like he'd be able to return it in, a, in a quick enough manner to get there for that game against Ecuador. So uh, questions on the back line for sure. <laughs> there were questions about the forwards going into last night, but all, all three goals were scored by forwards. So maybe they've broken the snide. Matias Fuoso, uh, a fantastic performance, kind of coming out of nowhere to score two goals, and then Jimenez had the other. So uh, Mexico fans will definitely hope that their forwards have, have broken that mark. They had more than 300 minutes without scoring before they were able to uh, get the goal of goals. I like, so. I like Miguel Herrera, jovial dude. I like that a lot. That's, that's <laughs> excellent. That should be his title on his business card. Um, all right, so let's turn over and, and look at Chile briefly. They win in their opener against Ecuador, as you said. Maybe the atmosphere a little lacking. Um, some, some nerves in that game. They weren't as sharp, and certainly... Part of what I saw last night and part of what I saw in that first match against Ecuador in my limited exposure is that Alexis Sanchez creates a lot of chances, John, but doesn't finish as many as he should. And that's that, that bit chilly last night. Obviously, beating Ecuador, not as much of a problem. Yeah, you know, he, the, it's Alexis Sanchez partnering with Eduardo Vargas, and that, that's kind of taking a lot of criticism from, uh, you know, the press. Uh, but manager Jorge Sampali last night in his press conference said he enjoyed the partnership. Um, he's liking seeing them kind of grow. But, yes, yeah, Sanchez isn't really finding the mark. He's not having the best tournament. I, I don't know if it's a, um, kind of a factor of that he's been playing a lot of games um, and now is kind of being the central figure of this team. But I think Arturo Vidal stepped up in his absence. You know, mm-hmm. He scored from open play. He scored from the penalty spot. And he was also a, just an absolute menace in the defensive midfield last night. So, for me, he's really been the star of Chile. But yeah, if they're going to win this tournament, if they're going to progress, I think you know they'll be fine playing the way they're they're playing. You're, they're pretty much already into the quarterfinals. But if they're going to win this tournament, I think they're going to need Alexis Sanchez to step up to be able to score a couple goals or uh, at least lay off a couple assists. And and you know they're going to need him to progress. But I think Sampaoli is is happy with what he's seen so far, even if the fans are getting a little antsy about Sanchez not scoring. Mm-hmm. Let's look at a couple of the titans of South American football and, and how their tournaments opened up. Um, Brazil needed a, a late winner to beat Peru. Uh, Neymar, fantastic and, and brilliant. And uh, I, I see his, his goal-scoring record for Brazil being tossed around. I don't remember what it is off the top of my head, John, but it's insane. Um, is, is Brazil in a position right now for all of that, quote-unquote, star power? They're just not really a cohesive team at the moment, or is this Peru stepping up and 
just playing above their heads. I think you do have to give some credit to Peru. Obviously, the match Wednesday against Colombia is going to be, you know, two of the tournament's favorites facing off in the group stage. So that's going to go a long way toward telling us if it was just kind of a, a fluky game or if it was if it was a real problem in Dunga's squad. You know, this tournament, I, the teams didn't have a ton of time to come together, so I think a lot of teams are lacking cohesion, and mm. I think that's always been one of the knocks. <laughs> you know, not to say that Brazil always has some knocks, because usually it's a fantastic team, but a lot of times the team's more of a bunch of really good individuals playing together and not, you know, a bunch of people playing as a team. Uh, so I think that's always been a problem for Brazil, and I think that might be a problem going forward. We're going to see on Wednesday just how cohesive they are because Colombia, uh, they lost their match against Venezuela. So both teams will be desperate for a win to prove that they, you know, are actually favorites in the tournament. And uh, if Brazil tops Colombia, you know, Colombia is in real danger. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think Wednesday is going to go a long way toward telling us what we're actually going to get out of these two tournament favorites. As far as Brazil, yeah, I think they, they're definitely lacking co some cohesion. Is that just the fact that it's early in the tournament, or is it a real issue? I think that'll materialize. Um, the other big-time team in this tournament that uh, people had as a potential favorite, Argentina, clearly lots of talent there as well, and they drew with Paraguay 2-2 in their opener, and uh, they have uh, Uruguay tonight. It uh, doesn't get easier. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. You know, they they kind of, for me in that game, I think they kind of just took their foot off the gas. It was a team that... That watching that match, I thought, you know, that they had it in the bag, and maybe they did too. You know, after uh, Sergio Aguero and Messi both score in the first half, I think, you know, maybe after halftime, you kind of come out and say, all right, we've got this. You know, it's Paraguay. It's not a great rival. We're up 2 0. We're okay. And then, uh, you know, Valdez scores uh, in the second half, and, and Barrios with a late goal. So, uh, yeah, I think that it might have been more mental, and, and Uruguay didn't exactly look stunning against Jamaica. So, I don't think Argentina will be too worried yet, but of course uh, they can't let themselves slip mentally like I think they did in that first game if they're going to advance as the the top team from Group B. Uh, the other uh, so so we talked we've already talked a little bit about Colombia, but we'll come to them now. Um, one nothing losers to Venezuela, uh, the shock of the tournament so far, and Colombia a team with um, several pretty transcendent attacking options. What's the issue for them? Is it just uh, lack of midfield support is is I mean they only get they give a one goal Venezuela not an attacking um, juggernaut themselves so where's the issue for Colombia? Well, Venezuela did a really good job defending, um, but I think when you look at Colombia's attack, you have Falcao still playing a starting role and playing the whole match. He's got the captain's armband. You know, it's clear that that Jose Peckerman is putting his faith in Falcao and putting his trust in Falcao. You know, despite. Uh, lack of club minutes, maybe lack of sharpness, and I think that definitely has to be looked at in the second match. You know, it's not like they don't have other forwards on the bench, but Jackson Martinez doesn't enter the game until there's only eight minutes left, and, and Teofilo Gutierrez, who a uh, fantastic player from Argentina, you know, uh, didn't impress always in Mexico, but I think that, you know, he's a player who also could provide a spark, and yet, you know, Peckerman doesn't turn to his subs until really late in the game. I think he's probably going to make a, a change to his starting lineup. I'm not sure if he'll yank Falcao or, or if he'll put Baca on the bench and put someone else in the starting role, but I think he definitely has to make some changes before because for me it was clear in that match, as good of a manager as I think Peckerman is, I think it was clear in that match that they needed to do something different against the you know aforementioned strong Venezuela defense, and they just didn't really get anything done. So I think they'll have to make some changes if they're going to beat Brazil. Do you think that this that he's, he's bowing to some sort of internal pressure? Is it just the... 
the uh, the legacy of Falcao as a Colombian great or what? I mean, it doesn't make sense to when you have those options on the bench. It doesn't make sense to start a guy who, like you said, has had limited club minutes and wasn't effective when he did play. You know, speaking of the Colombian press corps here, no one seems surprised by it. You know, no one seems to. It's not one of those things where um, it it was took anybody by surprise at all. You know, they expected Falcao, and I think it might be just that Falcao's Peckerman's guy. Peckerman's going to ride Falcao uh, uh, the tournament through the you know through the rain and the storm. So uh, again, maybe he he sees the writing on the wall and, and makes a change against Brazil. Maybe Falcao breaks out of his shell. I mean, he. He, he was one of the better players in, in, you know, in South America several years ago. He hasn't been able to replicate that form, obviously, at club level and really for his country in quite some time. So I think it's just a situation where you know, we, we've, we've seen this with a lot of national team managers where they keep picking the same guy. Yeah. That's the guy they like. That's the guy they're sticking with. I think that's the situation there. Um, but yeah, Columbia, Colombian fans, Colombian press doesn't seem surprised by it at all. But surprised by it at all, even if they're not overly thrilled with it. Let's go back to Group A because something happened last night that uh, that hasn't happened in a while. Bolivia won a Copa America match in the group stage by beating Ecuador. Um, those are you know two of the lesser lights of, of South America. Certainly, they've had their their moments over history. Bolivia less so. How big of a deal is it for Bolivia to win this match? Well, it's a big deal. Um, when I was covering them for the Mexico game, you know, it was a scoreless drop, and I was looking, and they hadn't won a. John, sorry, uh, we got a connection issue with John. He finally, actual competitive match, and so not a friendly uh, away from home, where obviously they have a big advantage with the altitude. And John, you still got me? Yeah, I got, me? I got, you just came. Hello, you hello, just hello. came back. You just came back. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I think that it was a huge game for for Bolivia. You know, we we looked and they hadn't won a competitive match away from the altitude helped altitude aided uh, home site for uh, I think it was more than 15 years. You know, it's been a long time since Bolivia's been able to win away from home in a competitive match. So I think this is massive for them. I really like their manager, Mauricio Soria. He, he's he's got a good plan. Uh, he's kind of aware of where Bolivia stands in the pecking order, and and I think he's kind of played with that. They're a very organized team. Uh, Raldez and Zateno and, and the center do a really good job of keeping the defense compact. I didn't really think they'd be able to muster too much attack, even though they had a couple of chances against Mexico, but they got an early goal off a header and then were able to add to it and then had a penalty. So it, it, Ecuador really came with it all at the end. I think of that game, you know, it was one of those situations where you felt like if the referee gave a little more stoppage time, it might end up being a draw, but a really historic result for Bolivia and, and one that's kind of thrown a kink into Group A because now uh Bolivia and Chile are both on four points mm-hmm. and uh and are headed into the final match against each other so Mexico needs to get a win and uh and might need some help to get uh, that that spot as the best or second best third place team to get into the quarterfinals uh, but we'll see maybe Chile will blow up Bolivia and Mexico will get a couple goals and go in as a the second team. John, uh, if, hopefully this delay is not too bad. The other CONCACAF representative in this tournament is Jamaica. Um, they've played one match. Uh, they, they lost that match one nothing. They go into a game tonight against Paraguay. How have, uh, how have they looked in that, in that first match? And, you know, is this, uh, is this a good enough Jamaican team to, you know, maybe surprise some people? Well, yeah, I think they surprised against uh, Paraguay. You had uh, a pretty good showing. I thought that Darren Maddox had a really good game. He had a couple of chances that he probably could have converted, and maybe they really should have even been ahead 
there in the first half. They had a really good first half. They couldn't really hang with Uruguay. I didn't think in the second they started to kind of kind of dip a little bit. But, you know, I think this is a Jamaica team that's getting great preparation for the Gold Cup. Uh, somehow they've gotten most of the clubs to agree to let their players go to both tournaments. So you're going to see the same Jamaica team in the Gold Cup. And I think that they're one that can make some noise there. I'm not sure they're going to make some noise here. Paraguay looked pretty good in that second half against Argentina. Um, but I think you have a Jamaica team who's definitely not just simply making up the numbers. You know, they're, they're a team that's that's going to grip some respect as well, even if they don't get any points, and they might be able to jump up and get a point or two as well. John, in terms of of your experience, and and what's the the atmosphere like for this for this tournament? What's uh, how are Chile as as host? How excited are the people? You know, it's it's. I don't want to say it's dead because I think that's a very very strong word. And as I mentioned last night, you know, the Estadio Nacional was great. When you have a major tournament, you know, you expect it to be, be, you know, especially when it's Latin America, we have the stereotype of, like, everyone loves soccer, everyone is so excited. Um, you know, I'd say that it's, people are happy that the tournament is here, people are very excited about the Chilean team. I'm not sure that people are super excited about the other games. There's actually, you know, there's a lot going on here. It's it's an interesting moment politically, there's been a lot of protests and demonstrations um, from the, the professors at universities, from uh, transportation workers. I think a lot of people are more focused on, on their, their daily lives than, than the Copa America. With that said, you know, the, it's, it's still been a good host, I think. Um, and, you know, I don't really know that it's fair to ask a country to just be absolutely bonkers for, for a soccer tournament. Um, so I think it's been good. It's, it's been well-organized. It's been easy enough for the press. I think the fans have been able to get into the games that they're trying to get into. Um, and, and Chile is a beautiful country. You know, we were able to get out to this, to the uh, ocean, to, to Valparaiso, to Viña del Mar, and those were some real gems um, that I really wasn't aware existed. So that was really nice to be able to get out to those matches. Beautiful city, beautiful people, uh, great music. The food is okay. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm missing, I'm missing my, my, my tacos in, in Mexico uh, and everything. But, yeah. uh, everything else is, is all good. Uh, the you you mentioned the political climate. Um, obviously, we you know every, the the World Cup in Brazil from last year is, is sort of fresh in our minds, and clearly the uh, events of 2013 and all of the protests leading up to that tournament, um, where the people of Brazil used it as an opportunity to grab some attention. It's not on that level in in Chile, certainly. Is there a sense that they don't have enough to build stadiums? I mean, that's the the good thing about Copa America is you really don't have to go and spend a billion dollars on a stadium in order to get the tournament. So is there less of a less pressure maybe um, on the on the football itself because it's not on that same level, but there still remain some issues that they that these people are using the tournament as a um, as a platform for. Yeah, definitely. I think you've hit it on the head there. You know, these are you know everyone knows that the eyes will be on this tournament, that it's important to the government and to to officials that this tournament goes well, that Chile puts on a good face, and so I think that they're not opportunistically. I think that just wisely they're saying here's a platform we can use to get our message out and it hasn't been disruptive you know it hasn't been i haven't had any issues getting to matches and i haven't heard of anyone else having any issues getting to matches um but the especially the the professors i you know i'm not i <laughs> have to admit i haven't looked into their their <laughs> cause as much as i probably should have right. um but they're they're very present at all the matches and they've been uh, very active with the protests, but it's all been, you know, super peaceful, no issues that I've seen. I don't really, you know, it doesn't have that climate where you expect it to spill over either. Obviously, you never know what could happen, but but so far I think it's been totally normal. And I think, yeah, as you said, you know, it's just they realize that there's going to be some coverage here and, and are using that to get their message out. What's uh, what's the uh, traveling support like? How many uh, how many fans from around the, the continent have made it to Chile? 
a lot of Colombians here. A lot of Colombians have spilled in. I wonder if the Brazilians and Argentinians are kind of uh, banking on those those group games <laughs> right. um, to come over. And there's been a lot of Mexican support too, which is interesting to me. You know, there's always a lot of Mexican support. But I've kind of been surprised by the numbers, even though I'm used to covering Mexico, just because, you know, it's it's a pretty quick trip to the U.S. to see Chicharito, Carlos Vela, Hector Moreno, Guillermo Ochoa. It's a pretty expensive trip to get down into Chile to see the, uh, Miguel Herrera says don't call it a B-side, but to see the alternate squad. Sure. And uh, a lot of Mexicans have still made it, so I think that's been impressive. The Colombians are really in full force, and uh, those are kind of the stars for so far of the uh, the fans. We will go with Bizarro Mexico. I think that's a good name for it. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you talk about Herrera, and, and obviously, you know, he he came in late in the process to get the team to 2014. They they acquitted themselves very well at the World Cup. Is there? And, and they've been they've been part of Copa America for a long time now. It's uh, what it's, uh, more than 20 years that uh, consecutively the Mexico has been taking part in Copa America. How are they? How was Mexico the team sort of received, and and how do other journalists from from South America view that team when they come down and play in that tournament? I think that there's I don't want to say anger. I think there's confusion about why Mexico hasn't brought its strongest team because I ah. think that that Mexico is kind of seen as and understandably you know there's the bridge with the language um, and, and other parts of shared culture you know music is is shared in a lot of these Latin American countries they they know Mexican culture and Mexicans know South American culture and so I think that there's a little confusion on the parts of reporters is you know don't you see yourself as Latin America don't you see yourself as American uh, which they do you know is you know American in the in the big picture sense sure. obviously not like from the United <laughs> States um, they do. And so I think there's some, some confusion as to why Mexico prioritized the Gold Cup. Um, obviously, to me, as someone who covers CONCACAF day to day and, and is kind of a nerd about it, I guess, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense to me for Mexico to prioritize its own region. But, but other people don't see it that way. Um, and so I think they're well received. I think that people are used to seeing Mexico, like you said. And I think that people are happy to see Mexico and, and the Mexican fans and, and the Mexican fans' dollars. But uh, but I think that you know there's a little confusion about why this isn't the strongest team. Are you a have you been able to uh, to meet up with um, the legendino Tim Vickery? Have a little powwow for uh, World Football Phoning? We we met up last night. Yeah, he uh, he's anti beard, which is a, a stance that I have to disagree <laughs> with. And so uh, you know he's still he was giving me some 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 shtick, as they say <laughs> about about my beard. Uh, but yeah, no, he good, good guy, and 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 just as. Uh, as old school as you expect, and as kind of this, the cuts a really wise figure, just like you see on the radio. So yeah, it was it was a pleasure to meet him. I I, I uh, tweeted a shot of him, uh, frantically scribbling in his notebook after the uh, Chile Mexico draw. So uh, we we didn't talk the sh- we didn't talk shop, we didn't talk business. We just uh, chatted, and, and he uh, abused my beard and then called me a whippersnapper. Oh, he, didn't, he didn't use the word whippersnapper, but you know what I mean. Okay, well you know it's interesting. We haven't had Tim Vickery on this show in a long time. We'd love to get him back. He's a busy guy, you know that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 it strikes me though, that there is a, there's a cottage industry of British expats living in South America and covering football, covering soccer. <laughs> yes. We are, we are, we are, we are, we don't nearly have enough Americans doing that. So do you, are you going to blaze a trail or any, any potential for John Arnold to be based in South, South America anytime soon? Nah, Jason, I, I, I tweeted to my followers that I'm sneaking out to get a little non-cacaf on the side, but I mean, you know I'm con-cacaf through and through, and I'm already based in Mexico, man. What, what more do you want from me? <laughs> no, I, I realize that, John. I'm just, uh, again, I think, I think that we, you know, as Americans sort of spread our, our wings um, in this game that we all love so much, 
We need to start, you know, stepping up alongside all of those, as as Trevor likes to say, all of those Brits in white linen pants sitting around drinking <laughs> coffee in the afternoon and, and talking about football. I think that that description alone, although uh, pants maybe you know, <laughs> you know maybe those are optional, the linens. But I think you know that description alone will surely send sure, a couple sorry, of your sure. young, enterprising listeners down to South America, yes. and it's nice in Santiago, so perhaps they'll uh, they'll come down okay. here and give us a, I, I, a Chilean correspondence. I'm being told that it's shirts, not pants, but the, you know, khakis and a white linen shirt. Okay, you know, well, you know, why the, not both? Why not both? Yes. A, a full white linen suit. Although that maybe then that seems like you're joining a South American <laughs> cult. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, John, you, you, you see any surprises coming? I mean, we've seen a couple already. The joy of, of Copa America is that, that it does have this potential to sort of throw up a team that makes a semifinal nobody expected them to. Uh, a couple of, of group stage upsets. Ultimately, we end up usually with an expected champion, but is, uh, is there a potential here for something big to happen? Well, I think you're going to see Bolivia in the knockout stages, which is something that you wouldn't have expected. I think that's uh, that's going to be an interesting one. As far as a real upset, you know, upset alert, this team is gonna is gonna go. I mean, I think you had Venezuela finish fourth place in the last tournament. Paraguay uh, was kind of a, a spoiler as well. Um, as far as that goes, well, and the champion was Uruguay, who, uh, while still a favorite, isn't necessarily you know the, one of the teams you consider a power. Um, I don't think it's going to be quite as wild as the last tournament, honestly, even though the favorites have struggled to the start. Um, but like I said, I think you'll see Bolivia in the knockouts. It would be a huge story if they were able to get a victory there. And I think uh, the Venezuela, again, is, is going to hang tough. I, as you saw against Colombia, they're not a team that's just going to go quietly. Um, so out of that group, Brazil, Venezuela, Peru, Colombia, you know, it's possible to me that, that maybe one of them doesn't qualify or of, of Brazil and Colombia. And it's it's possible that maybe if it's Colombia, they that they uh, you know, they they don't even get through the knockout. So we'll see what happens with them. But I think they're in trouble. Okay, very quickly because I am fascinated by Venezuela because they seem to be, off the top of my head, the only South American soccer playing country where soccer is not the a number one sport. Or if it is, it's brand new to the top spot. Um, do you have a cultural sense of Venezuela and and how? How soccer is obviously, you know, Hugo Sanchez pushed a lot of it um, uh, during his presidency. How uh, did I have his name right? Whatever. Um, I'll come back to that. D- d- is there is there a sense of Venezuela's on the up? I, I was Sanchez. like Hugo Sanchez, I, I meant, the, the Mexican I meant, striker. No, Hugo Chavez. Chavez. Yeah, I got it wrong. It, it, sue me. Uh, it's early. Yeah, I covered Juan Arango in Tijuana, and and you know he uh, he says he, he speaks very highly, of course, of Venezuela. He's a Venezuelan legend. Uh, I think it's kind of similar to Panama, where baseball is a big, big deal, but they're also very proud to be good at soccer. I'm not sure it's even on the rise. You know, a lot of these guys are veterans who have been around for a long time, at least the ones I'm familiar with. So um, I don't know that it's one of those situations where you've got a young team and soccer's growing and they've got players coming through in the ranks, but I think it's a team that's been together for a while. And and obviously, as you saw against Colombia, knows how to keep itself organized. I think that's the, if you can be... A, a cohesive team that sometimes is more important than being a talented team because they haven't had a ton of time to repair between the uh, the end of the club season and the start of the uh, of international play. So I think cohesion is a huge deal, and I think Venezuela has it. John Arnold from Goal.com. You can also hear him occasionally on World Football Phone-In covering uh, the CONCACAF region. He is doing some non-CACAF at the moment and taking in Copa America. We ha- happily appreciate everything that you do, John, and uh, thank you for joining us today. The, the Skype connection held out.
Yeah, my pleasure. I mean, you had to go and mention it, or I think it would have been even better. I know it's my fault. I I, I messed with the uh, <laughs> I, I messed with fate. Uh, appreciate the time, John. We'll talk to you soon. Let's take a break. Thanks, when we come back, we'll open up the phone lines. Talk to you. Got U.S. Open Cup tonight. MLS jumping on board. Let's go. Soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. The best way to watch Copa America and the greatest players in the world, including Leo Messi, Neymar, James Rodriguez, and Alexi Sanchez, is on Sling International's exclusive broadcast of Copa America on BN Sport. Sling TV is the number one live international TV service in the United States. It's a safe and legal streaming service that delivers your favorite sports and more to your TV, tablet, phone, and computer. For just $10 a month, you can watch every single Copa America game live or on demand featuring Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, Chile, Uruguay, and more. Plus, Sling International gives you access to Barca TV, Real Madrid TV, the New York Cosmos, Syria, and more top networks offered by Sling TV. There's no commitment, no annual contract, and no satellite dish needed. Don't miss the best leagues in the world on Sling International. Sign up today at www.sling.com soccer. Again, that's sling.com soccer. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go, back on Soccer Morning. Phone lines are open. 646-832-3909. We got to Copa America. We're talking about that. Mexico. Well done, Mexico. I mean, you know, two points out of two games. Not the best. They're going to need to figure some things out to make it into the knockout rounds. But considering the strength of that team... What they did against Chile last night, that's, that's impressive. That's impressive. Let's look at the U.S. Open Cup, and I'm looking at the schedule tonight. Rochester, Philadelphia, live at PPL Park in Chester, Pennsylvania. Uh, just, uh, you know, obviously this is where the MLS teams get involved, the fourth round. You got a bunch of USL teams because they wiped the floor with NESL in round three. You got two NASL teams left, and I think there's one one or two amateur sides still left in the tournament, maybe one. It might just be PSA Elite, who have the lovely task of playing the Los Angeles Galaxy in LA, or sorry, at the StubHub Center tomorrow night. But which, which one of these games is most fascinating to you? Because we have to balance a bunch of things here. It's not just, well... You know, it's a USL team, Louisville City against Chicago, et cetera. Where is the game? Who do you expect the, the MLS team to play? Because you got to take it seriously if you're going to just if you're going to have a real good shot of winning these games. These games throw up surprises all the time. They throw up upsets. All that they throw up upsets. They give us upsets all the time. And there's probably some upsets coming. Tonight and tomorrow. Maybe St. Louis FC goes into Sporting Park and beats Sporting. Maybe that happens. I don't know. Maybe Oklahoma City upsets FC Dallas. Because that game's in Fort Worth for some reason. Oh, it's a TCU soccer stadium. Okay. All right. So I see. I see. The MLS teams that are playing at home in their own buildings. 
Philadelphia, New York, they have the Atlanta Silverbacks. Sporting, Chicago at Toyota Park. Colorado Rapids at Dick Sporting Goods Park against Colorado Springs Switchbacks. RSL against the Sounders 2 at Rio Tinto. That game will be interesting because if Sounders beat RSL, whew, I don't know how you live that one down. The Sounders 2 beat RSL, excuse me. The Quakes are, hope, are hosting the Sacramento Republic. I like that matchup too. That game's at 10.30 tonight. As always, go to thecup.us for all of your U.S. Open Cup information. Uh, there, on the schedule page, there will be links to whatever video streams are available for whatever games are out there. Let's go to Jason in Jersey. He wants to talk Euro qualifiers. What's up, Jason? I saw a couple of the uh, European uh, games over the weekend. ESPN3 is a very good platform for it. Uh, two games that really stood out for me, uh, giving me some uh, thoughts about good friendlies for the United States in the future. Uh, I think one real good uh, potential game for the U.S. would be against Wales, who looked real good uh, over the weekend beating Belgium. Uh, Wales doesn't have the depth as the United States does, but imagine if the U.S. soccer team had a star striker, world-class striker like Gareth Bale. I guess you can compare U.S. and Wales in that regard. So I, thought, I think that might be a good uh, uh, friendly for the U.S. in the future. And the second one that really stood up for me was the Albania-France game, which was a friendly, but Albania beat France one nothing in Albania in a real gritty game. And just watching that game and seeing the stadium there, it, it reminds me a lot of Central American teams like Honduras uh, in a way. So uh, the Albanian and Wales would be two uh, non-conventional teams I'd like to see the U.S. play in the future. Okay. Uh, speaking of Wales, came across this this morning. In 2011, Wales was ranked 117th in the world. Next month, when the, re- when the FIFA rankings come out, they'll be in the top 10. That's insane. <laughs> That's insane. And they, they've earned this. It's not as though, I mean, look, the FIFA rankings are a joke. We know that. And you get rewarded for playing competitive matches. And some countries can't do that. I got to let you go, Jason. Your feedback's killing me here. But you get rewarded for playing competitive matches. And Wales is benefiting from qualifying for the Euro campaign, among other things. But they've also won games that have put them in this position. They beat Belgium. They won one nothing over Belgium. And they're, now they're going to go into the top 10 in the world rankings. And this just brings to mind the other thing that's bouncing around on Twitter this morning, which is the comparison because Guam, population 165,000, beat India, population 1 billion something, whatever that is, in a World Cup qualifier. And, of course, for some reason we're incapable of pulling apart the nuance of, of how Guam beats India without just throwing up the, the population numbers. like As if that's the only determining factor of how good a country should be at soccer. As if we don't have 10 examples of small countries who have maximized their resources to become very good. As if we don't recognize that Guam has a lot of MLS experience on that team. Brandon McDonald, AJ De La Garza, Ryan Guy, as if, as if we don't see and understand what the issues are within India when it comes to soccer. 
I had I, I when I did that 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 TV hit thing I did a couple weeks back because of the FIFA uh, FIFA apocalypse. I got hung up afterwards. I mean, it was a very nice conversation, but I got hung up after doing that show, talking to a gentleman from India who was working here in the U.S., working in D.C., who just, he was a, a Barcelona fan and an Arsenal fan, so hate him if you want to, but he just sort of bemoaned the, the, the state of soccer in India. But he also just threw up his hands and said, you know, that's just the way things are. Cricket is number one by such a large margin. Cricket dominates so much of life in India that when you are a kid, when you are a young athlete, the, you play cricket until you can no longer play cricket, until it's obvious that you're just not going to be a cricketer, then you take up soccer. And then when you join up with the soccer team, there are no resources, there is no infrastructure, there is no support, the, co- the coaching lacks any sort of vision or direction. So it doesn't matter how many people live in your country. If you don't have the ability to turn some of that population into effective players, good for Guam going out and finding players who are eligible for their country that can help them win games at this stage of World Cup qualifying. But let's not act like let's not act like one hundred sixty-five thousand and one point means anything. I mean, your brain wants to make that logical connection. That India, just by sheer chance, should have some quality players to go out and beat a tiny country like like Guam. I I don't know. I mean, everything I know about Indian football tells me that this is not a surprise. Everything Everything that I know about the history of Indian football, they they can't even... I don't know. Just a little frustrated by the, the, the thing. Again, good for Guam. And yes, India should be better. But not by chance. By actual function. They they need to put some people in place and spend some money and actually make an effort before they're going to ever get decent. I mean, look at China. Where's China on the world stage when it comes to the men? The Chinese women doing fine. Qualifying for the knockout rounds of the World Cup. Good for them. Chinese men? Well, I don't see them. Are they in the are they in the are they here? Let's go to Bill in New York. What's up? Jason, how's it going? That's uh, it's going well. What's up? What do I watch tonight? Do I watch the US women or Red Bulls in the US Open? Uh, you gotta you gotta watch the US women. That that game that's a World Cup game, Bill. If it was the US men and an open cup match, would you even have a question? Uh, no, and that's why I am. I'm going for the win. Oh, good, good, as you should. That's a meaningful match in the top competition every four years. The Open Cup happens every year. We get, you know, we get the the Red Bulls playing some lo- lower division team every year and losing probably sometimes. Who they go out to last year, Bill? Uh, Cosmos, Cosmos. They went out to the Cosmos. Cosmos. <laughs> I was at that game. It was awful. <laughs> that uh, was a tough one. You for think us. you think the Cosmos you think the Cosmos beat NYCFC tomorrow night? No, I think NYC wins. Yeah, I, I think NYC is really going to take it serious. I think they're going to realize they have to win that game. That's a, an important game for them, I think. I think it is. I think that is an important game. I think Christ is going to take it seriously, but it's on turf. 
It's in Hofstra. It's at Hofstra. It's, it just doesn't seem like the right environment for NYCFC to succeed. But we'll, we'll find out because I imagine it's going to be both pretty strong teams. Because I remember last year, we went out with half our team last year, and I know New York City is not going to do that. They're going to want to do well on this. I'm sure they're going to come out with their full squad. I, I believe so. You know Go ahead. I wanted to ask you about the, uh, and I'm not sure, yesterday's show, it didn't come out on podcast. Did, does that happen uh, to other people, or is that just me? No, we've got it. we had an issue yesterday. It's going to go up today, or it may have, may have already gone up. Trevor's working on it. So uh, apologies for that. Just a, Just a little bit of a lag in getting yesterday's show posted. I'm not sure if uh, anybody talked about this. The girl from Sweden with the head injury. Yes. With her bleeding through the bandage. Yeah. Was anybody calling about that, talking about that? Uh, nobody has mentioned it to me. Uh, it probably deserves a little bit more attention. I, I called in a couple weeks ago, and I mentioned something about rule changes. And as soon as I did it, I, I'm pretty sure it was Eddie from Brooklyn called it right away. and was like, oh, he's crazy with rule changes. This is one of those things where... Like we're always talking about concussions and everything else. Make a rule change here. You know, I, I don't know how you do it, but I would even say do four or five subs. Increase yeah. the subs. And I know people worry about, well, that stops the game. Don't stop the game for subs then. Make it that the sub has to run over and you have to pack the play and you switch off that way so you're not stopping yeah. the game. But the guy have more subs, but this doesn't happen. That's poor girl running it, around the field. Bill, He's bleeding out yeah. on the field. It certainly seems like they have not done enough to try to figure it out. Lots of lip service. Lots of, yeah, concussions are important and we need to really have some sort of protocol and players shouldn't be playing again after they've obviously been concussed or if they've received a head injury of any time. I mean, but they haven't taken the steps because they know that there's going to be an uproar from uh, from everybody. I mean, from the big clubs, from the na- national teams, when they put into effect any rule that changes the way substitutions are handled, that re- that re- uh, requires players to come off and stay off the field. Um, you know, it's, it's just a little bit like the argument against any sort of concussion controls in the NFL. I've seen people say it's their body. They should get to choose what they do, they, what they do with it. That's a ridiculous argument. You can't possibly make a cogent decision after you've had your head you know concussed it doesn't make any sense i mean the new york city game the first game i think it was their first game of the year with um the goalkeeper where he was, yeah. I mean, he was out cold yeah, and Sanders, yeah. Field. you know yeah so that's just one of the rule changes i saw and i was like uh I wonder. Yeah, like I don't have the best solution. Thanks for the call, Bill. I, I appreciate it, man. Um, you got. It. I don't have the. I don't have the solution here. I don't have a proposal written out on how you handle concussion issues, head injury issues, whether you stop play or, as Bill suggests, you get the player off and maybe the substitution comes in the middle. You can't do that. You have to have the the referee waving on players. You can't just have players running into the. I, I mean, it's. It's a difficult issue. It is. It's a very difficult issue because we should be, number one, we should be protecting players. First and foremost, protect the players. The problem is that the competitive elements always outweigh protecting the players. This goes. This is true in every sport, not just soccer, clearly. The, the, that pendulum had swung way too far in the other direction for the NFL for a very long time. Now it's finally maybe starting to get balanced out a bit. But it, it was a painful process to get there. The same is going to be true in, in, in soccer. 
You know, we can talk. The funny thing is, we get Seb Blatter talking about sin bins or some. Occasionally, we'll have somebody suggest a a, a new rule. We'll talk about goal line technology, throwing a, another referee, a, a, another official behind the nets in, in Europa League. There are there are always some suggestion on how to either improve the game or address some of the issues in the game, et cetera, et cetera. And those things are thrown out there now, while they're ultimately been rejected to this point, except for that referee thing. They're thrown out there like they're no big deal. Like it's, oh, this is a great idea to, the person presenting it, this is a great idea to improve the game. Everybody then goes, rabble, rabble, rabble. But nobody wants to throw out the actual important thing, which is to address concussion issues in this game. Or head injuries in general. Because again, the issue is, it's very difficult to know whether a player has been concussed immediately after the fact. It was a 30-second assessment. You can't do that. And, I, and I, I really don't get the people who are tired of hearing Taylor Twelman talk about concussions. Because it's probably, you know, it's not like it's not an important issue. He's going to bring it up because it's important. I, I don't know. 646-832-3909 here on a Tuesday. Soccer morning. Talking about whatever, whatever is on your mind. The U.S. women tonight against Nigeria. What, have your, what are your expectations for that match? And is this the opportunity finally for the Americans to get the look? If they win, they win the group. If they lose, they're in trouble. If they win, they win the group. Kind of take a deep breath. And I'm not saying it's a foregone conclusion at all. I hope they're prepared. I hope so. I, I hope that Hope Solo is ready because I think there's going to be, need to be several big saves made in this match for the U.S. to win it. And I actually have faith that she'll make them. The United States has to figure out their attack. Is Davi Wambach going to start tonight? Are the United States going to figure out how to score on turf? Because apparently that's the problem. Can Megan Rapino grab a game by the scruff of the neck the way that she did against Australia? Can Lloyd and Holiday actually figure out how to play in the midfield, covering both defensively and moving into the attack? The same questions that we ask about our men's team, we're asking about our women's team right now. Are you going to get goals out of your strikers? Now, maybe maybe the, defensively you're fairly comfortable with the U.S. right now, partly based on that performance against Sweden. And Julie Johnston was fantastic. And you need her to have another game like that in order for the United States to be comfortable here. I think they're better than Nigeria. They should beat Nigeria. But we've seen stranger things happen. Colombia beat France because what? France didn't finish. The United States has to finish. I think the I, I haven't seen a lot of um, a lot of analysis on this yet or predictions, but this seems to me like a game where Jill Ellis is going to go back to what she knows. Abby Wambach will probably start. Just my just my sense. Six four six eight three two three nine zero nine. Coming back to Sean on Twitter. My friends and family in England say concussion is an American problem and issue. They don't consider it, consider it serious over there. See, this is the again, this is the issue that uh, the people who are advocating for better protocols have to work against. The rest of the world is very flippant about players coming off with their heads uh, ringing from 
being elbowed or clashing heads with somebody else. And you can't tell me that there's not some sort of longer impact. Just like we see with American players, American football players. You know, look, the the chances of having CTE from soccer are a lot less than they are in football. And therefore, we don't see the number of, of players who uh, disintegrate as people and human beings and have depression and suicidal thoughts later in life or even their their early 50s not even that long after playing so that that hasn't reared its ugly head yet hopefully it won't hopefully never will if it hasn't yet maybe it never will but there have certainly been soccer players who have suffered later in life because they've had concussion related problems but nobody's going to talk about that maybe it'll take something like that an identification of those actual issues coming to uh, coming to play on a player's life in a high-profile manner for us to uh, to believe it. All right. 646-832-3909. Sean's distracting me here. There's there's yeah, he's mentioning some of the uh some of the um things that come with a concussion. Uh the the symptoms, the immediate symptoms. Yeah, there's there's some it, look, it, you can obviously have a mild concussion and a severe concussion. I mean, there are element, there are different variations as far as I'm aware. Maybe I'm not up on my my medicine, uh, but there, certainly concussions are an issue that I've been uh, concerned with, partly because it's uh it's had an impact on my family. My my little brother got a bunch of concussions as a kid and uh, in in high school playing football. I remember specifically watching him play. JV footballing and getting a concussion and then uh, coming out of the game and being an emotional wreck, not not crying, not because he was in pain, but because his brain was literally scrambled in that moment. Uh, I don't take this stuff lightly. Apologies if you are. Well, I shouldn't apologize for bringing it up, but apologies if you're bored with discussions about about concussions. Six, four, six, eight, three, two, three, nine, zero, nine. Last call here for anybody who wants to get in. Tell me what you make of the uh, Copa America for, for Mexico or, or in general. Obviously, Brazil has the talent to do things like overcome a plucky Peru, a Peru side in the first round, get a late winner from Neymar. Did you see Neymar get a yellow card for scooping up the, 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 the foam? Uh, was he, what, what was he doing exactly? Was he trying to like clear the way? So his, was he afraid that the foam was going to affect the, the flight of the ball? I mean, is that, a, is that a legitimate concern? Are there any physics experts out there who can tell me if the ball could be affected by the foam? I don't know. find that fascinating. All right. Make sure that you're checking out uh, Soccer Morning over on Sirius XMFC if you have that. Channel 94. Show's rolling on. We have Adrian Heath. On the show today. Also, Carlos Mendez from the New York Cosmos ahead of that big game tomorrow night against NYCFC. So, a little Orlando MLS, a little Cosmos NASL should be a good show. If I get a couple, if I get a couple calls here in the last uh, couple minutes, we'll, we'll go ahead and keep the show open. Until then, I don't want to cut you guys off. You want to get in. More than happy to have you on the air. Just want to make sure that we've got a reason to be sitting here. So, jump on in. 646 3909. Hit us up at uh, Soccer Morning on Twitter. 
Tell me what you think about Guam being India. I don't know. <laughs> Do we have a, a tactical breakdown of Guam beating India? Maybe. Oh, look at that. It's my boy, Vince in Toronto. What's up, Vince? Oh, everything's uh, good here, Jason. How how are things in uh, your neck of the woods? Uh, they're they're not bad. It's a, it's today officially begins summer for my family as my kid uh, finishes up first grade. So there's that. Uh, I wanted to talk some Copa America with you if you're game. All right, let's go. Let's do some Copa. Tell me. Well, you know, be, being of a Latino background, the Copa America is, is an institution in my household, and um, my, my stepfather's Ecuadorian, and so that, that's been hilarious watching him just lose his mind every time Ecuador uh, uh, loses their games. And, uh, and you know, it's, uh, it's a very interesting uh, situation there because I, I want to say it was Tom Marshall who tweeted it out. Like, watching Ecuador play, it felt like a team that maybe is not on the same page, maybe in the locker room. And, I mean, this is a team that's losing, that doesn't have Antonio Valencia, their captain. Yeah. Um, and who has uh, and who's also missing uh, one of their strikers, Felipe Caicedo, who's who's a, who's a beast for Ecuador, and so they've been relying completely on Ener Valencia. And you know they kept it close against Chile, but against Bolivia, man, that was that was a that was a train wreck, and it was very yeah. very you know uh, not hilarious, but it was very very alarming to watch. You know what's interesting is I I was listen I was watching a little bit of um, the opener Chile and Ecuador, and I listen <laughs> I, I heard Phil Shane say that he thinks that, that the death of Chucho Benitez is still a thing that affects that, that impacts that team, that prevents that team from moving forward. It's not that I blame Ecuador for that. It's just you don't think of, you know, it's been, it's been two years, you know, and you wonder if that's always going to be a problem or if they're just, once this generation moves past this team and they get a bunch of players who never, uh, who, who didn't play with Chucho, who didn't know him, he where he wasn't an influence on them. Maybe that's the only time that they can move on and and you know sort of uh, become what they should be. Yeah, you know it definitely feels like Ener Valencia has been selected to fill that void, and maybe maybe the pressure is you know starting starting to get to him a bit. I mean, the dude's still scoring goals for Ecuador, but he's essentially been forced to to, to play that role uh, that that Chucho played. Um, Hey, you know, Jason, I, I'm 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 of a Peruvian background, and so you know, Peru uh, uh, playing Brazil. Um, I didn't get to watch most of the game because I had to go to work like right after kickoff. But uh, from what my uncles told me and everything, Peru, you know, they played pretty well against Brazil. But same old story with them switching off at the end, and you know, it's Neymar, and he's going to kill you with uh, with with a, with a pass. Um, but you know, looking at the starting lineup for this team, you know, in Peru, there's not a lot of hope for the national team because of how mismanaged it is and how, you know, people look at the, look at the FA as a bunch of puppets um, and a bunch of old men who only want to make money off, you know, uh, glamour friendlies or what have you. Um, the, the starting lineup was very interesting because uh, Claudio Pizarro wasn't, wasn't in the 11. Now, he is probably the best Peruvian player we've had since, since, since Guvillas, you know, way back in the day. But the dude's never been able to perform for Peru, but he's constantly been, you know, the captain and he's been in the starting lineups. But the dude, even though he's prolific in Germany with, with you know, Werder Bremen and Bayern Munich, the dude has 19 goals for Peru. Um, and he didn't start, which was, you know, hallelujah. But there's still, you know, essences of, of you know, this team playing players who don't necessarily deserve it. Andre Carrillo was, was a beast with sporting, uh, with sporting in Portugal this season, but he was still on the bench. Um, you got a number of, you know, domestic guys playing who haven't really shown that, you know, they can make it at this level. 
But this result was encouraging against Brazil, but really against, uh, I believe they play uh, Colombia next, or Colombia, no, they play Venezuela next. They need to beat Venezuela if they want to, if they want to show uh, any sort of progress. They, they hammered Venezuela in the third place game 4-1 with Paulo Guerrero getting a hat trick. I don't expect that to happen this time around. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's fun watching these, these quote unquote smaller teams, you know, give the big boys a run for their money. Um, Peru's always been an odd, an odd duck. They they should be a better team, but they aren't. But you know, maybe maybe like 2011, they can spring a surprise. Vince Durano talking uh, Copa America. Appreciate the call, Vince. It's a good way to close out the show. No problem, Jason. Take care. There goes uh, Vince Toronto. Uh, as I said, good way to close this one out. Thank you very much for listening. Make sure you go to backheel.com slash store to buy yourself a mug or a t-shirt uh, designed. Designed by uh, the Backheel staff. That includes uh, me and Trevor and Jared Dubois. Do we have anybody, anybody else uh, put their uh, two cents in on the T-shirts? We need more. We need to, to work up some new designs. I keep saying that. Let's actually do that. Go to 3NailFC.com to buy the exclusive Soccer Morning T-shirt, which may need to be refreshed at some point, but we'll, we'll consider that too. Um, follow us on Twitter, at Soccer Morning, and make sure you're leaving uh, ratings and reviews over at iTunes. That's it. Thanks to John Arnold for his discussion of Copa America from down in Chile. We'll talk to you guys uh, tomorrow, Wednesday. Enjoy your soccer. See ya.